Hello and welcome to a special episode of Text Talks The Red. 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 Red edition. Radisson Red presents a playful twist on the conventional and their latest addition to their family is Radisson Red Rosebank in Johannesburg, a super slick hotel that I've had the pleasure of being walked through from top to bottom. From the brightly lit foyer flanked by meticulously curated artworks to the unparalleled views from their rooftop bar, Radisson Red injects new life into their hotels through personal touches that make you feel thoroughly at home. Radisson Red gives you the chance to tune in and out, switching effortlessly between business and pleasure. And in this special four-part series, I will be highlighting four individuals that represent Radisson Red's four pillars through art, music, design, and fashion. Today, I am talking to a multi-award winning, platinum-selling singer-songwriter, music producer, and forward-thinking social entrepreneur, who is a massive inspiration to a new generation of women looking to further their careers in the African music industry. I am, of course, talking about Barita Kumalo. Barita, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you, Tex. (laughs) Thank you so much. What a wonderful intro. Uh, you know, we like to make people feel comfortable <laughs> on the podcast, um, especially since, you know, the music industry climate at the moment and lockdown isn't necessarily the most comfortable at the moment. But first things first, I want to congratulate you on your best Rest of Africa Sama win for your album Songs in Yay. the Key of Love. <laughs> Congratulations. It's absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> what does a win like that mean for all of the hard work that went into crafting that gorgeous album? Yes. I think um, it's a beautiful time, you know, uh, for an African child like me. I think to understand how excited I am about that particular award, you would need to learn a bit about my history. I'm originally from Zimbabwe. I was Mm -hmm. born and bred there. I moved to South Africa in 2011 to study and secretly to pursue music. And um, over the years, I've really, you know, um, ascended in the arts. I've, you know, I've worked on my craft and I've always put out music from day one. But when I first started out, if you were an artist that was doing really well in South Africa, but you were not South African born, you couldn't really... Um, receive a nomination or an award for the Mm -hmm. South African Music Awards because they are for South Africans, unless you were a resident or a citizen. So I remember very clearly when I put out my first album, Conquering Spirit, and um, the leading single, Tando Luetu, became um, an adult contemporary hit all around the country. I remember, you know, the difference that my peers just the advantage that they got because of the summer awards and the summer nominations. And I remember just feeling a little bit left out, you know, and obviously we don't make music because of awards, but I remember just feeling like, man, I I wish my work could be seen. You know, I think it's in everyone to want to be seen and to be heard. And for the first time, uh, thanks to the summer awards, I felt that. You know, with the Samas being held in a different way and in a different capacity for the second time in the last two years, how is your experience of being nominated and then winning different to, say, the physical award ceremony? 
It's definitely not as um, exciting, you know. <laughs> the summer is about the glitz and glamour. The red um, carpet. And the red carpet. The dress up. Mm-hmm. The dress up. And I remember the last summer hours, the last live ones, I had actually just done a collaboration with an artist from Afrotainment. So I was doing a lot of shows and gigs with DJ Dira who is like, I mean, he's a rock star. So mm-hmm. I remember him asking if I could walk the red carpet with him and his crew, you know. And man, like the glitz, the glamour, the lights, the fashion, it was everything. And it's sad to say, you know, the virtual awards strip a bit of that away. But I think, you know, a summer award is a summer award. It's still, it's still the Grammys of South African music regardless. Fingers crossed next year things will be properly open up and we can get our summers on again. I've been missing it so much. Like it's a proper, it's the only night where we can like really come together and all celebrate each other. I absolutely love it. It's always such a jewel. Now, I'm sure that you've seen the new Radisson Red Hotel and those gorgeous Mm -hmm. red angel wings that stand outside. And I I know that you've heard about how Radisson Red wants to embrace music and culture and art, but I want to know what are your hopes for where Radisson Red will take their interest and their level of support in the arts? I'm excited about Radisson Red, hey, particularly the location that they're in, you know, the Rosebank area. I think, Mm -hmm. um, over the years, there's always, you know, a particular location that is like the hub of arts and culture, particularly when it comes to Afrocentric, Afropolitan <coughs> music, you know. Um, and I remember about like 10, 15 years ago, it was Newtown. And then for a little while, it was Maboneng. But I can, you know, safely say with Reds and Reds entrance into Mabon- uh, into Rosebank, I can see how that's just going to elevate the live scene, particularly, you know, obviously for different genres of music, but I can see how that can be beneficial for Afrocentric sounds because there isn't many venues that are of that type of a caliber left um, in Joburg. You know, it's almost like most music venues have turned into like house music or DJ sports. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, getting down on the dance floor, but, you know, you still want uh, beautiful spaces that can accommodate um, just a soul-reaching experience, soul-enriching experience, I mean. Mm, I, I'm very happy that you mentioned how it will impact, impact upon the greater area of, of Rosebank and Joburg because I really feel like after this very difficult time that our entertainment industry has gone through, we need a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. And I feel like the Radisson Red, not only is it such a beautiful space, but like you said, it's perfectly positioned in the hub, on the art mile there in Keys uh, to do yeah. some really great things. So you're no stranger to winning awards and making platinum selling records, but <laughs> perhaps your most philanthropic venture is the creation of Womb which is a Pan-African Woman Empowerment nonprofit organization and which stands for Women of Music Business. And your aim is to help build the next generation of senior female music executives on the continent, which is of paramount importance. When you were in the planning stage of WOMB, 
what kind of tertiary education platforms or maybe other nonprofit organizations did you find that focused on women in the music business, if, if any? Yes. So we're living in an era of, you know, technology and information. And there's definitely a lot more information about the music industry than there was 10 years ago when I was starting out. But what I find is that women are still marginalized within the music industry, particularly in the African continent. And there isn't enough research that is going into that Um Internationally, there's organizations like Women in Music that have done a phenomenal job across the globe in terms of having chatters that focus on, you know, educating women, you know, whether it be executives or creatives. And there's one particular organization uh, that has recently been formed by Alicia Keys, and that is She Is The Music. And they've also been just doing phenomenal work in terms of the disparity in the music industry and putting together initiatives that assist, you know, women to get more information and more knowledge and internships in the industry. Where we come in as the women in the music business, particularly in terms of the African continent, um, we come in at a time where there isn't enough focus on the African continent in terms of the business side of music. I mean, we've got the culture We've got, uh, we, you know, as the African continent, I believe we're a melting pot of culture and music and languages and, you know, just self, different self-expressions. And what's so, uh, I think what's been different and what's made it a little bit difficult for the African music scene in all its facets to permeate internationally is the fact that we're not as clued up as we could be about the music business, particularly when it comes to African music artists. So having struggled in the music industry for the past 10 years um, and having, you know, had my fair share of (laughs) bad contracts, um, (laughs) terrible deals, which I, I think is a story for many, you know, for many people all around the globe when it comes to the creative arts. But I felt it was really important to create a community of women that can empower each other. And also, more than ever, there's a lot of support now. You know, record labels, you know, want to support. Like, for example, we recently partnered with Sony Music through their Sony Global Fund, you know, in which they've recently put together a fund just to support initiatives that better the music industry and our society in general. Incredible. You know, with it being August and Women's Month, I want to know what would be your number one piece of business advice that you would give to a female entrepreneur starting out in the industry? Yeah. That's a good question. (laughs) There's a lot to say, but I think I'm going through a very exciting and interesting phase as an artist and as a woman and as an entrepreneur. I am starting to really understand how being enlightened and understanding your own self, you know, really opens up a different point of 
advantage as an artist and as a as an entrepreneur and as a creator. So I would say even before I go into like technical entrepreneurship advice, I'd really like to say, you know, the most important uh, piece of advice I'd give is to really know yourself, you know, take the time to believe in yourself, take the time to really, you know, live, live like search who you are internally. And I know that's very difficult to do, um, especially because we, we now live in a, in a, you know, in a world where, you know, you wake up in the morning and you just get on Twitter and you get, get on Instagram or TikTok and you just get swallowed by what's happening in the world. But I think yeah. what makes, uh, you know, an entrepreneur stand against the grain in this day and age, I think is that ability to turn inside for whatever solutions you want to provide to the world or yourself. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> That makes a hundred percent sense. And, you know, speaking as an entrepreneur myself and somebody who's been in the music industry for a while, I know that when I was starting out, one of the things that I was the most worried about was making mistakes yeah. and making mistakes that would impact my career uh, on a on a grander scale, you know, I was I was worried about signing the wrong contract. I uh, was worried about getting into the wrong business deal with people, and I was wondering how you or what kind of advice you would give to somebody like me who is very who maybe doesn't have any support and is a little bit wary of getting yeah. into partnerships with people at an early stage. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's, that's a tough one. Hey, um, I remember, you know, like three years into my career, I was still bitter about my first contract that I signed because, Ooh, sure. <laughs> you know, you never I, forget that first one. You mm, never when forget that first sure. one. It stings. And I remember my lawyer and, you know, shout out to Mark Friedman. He helps a lot of artists in the music industry and he's helped me over, you know, over half a decade now. He's really helped me understand the business. And he said to me, listen, this is school fees. You have to take it as school fees and move forward. And oh, I love that. I look back school now and, I'm, and I say the reality is that for most of us, you are going to have to pay your school fees. Um. Yeah, you you just got, there's no other way around it. Hey, unless you come from an entrepreneurial background or you come from an enlightened yeah. background or perhaps you've been exposed to the music business at at a young age, you know, then, or perhaps you're protected if you've got family around you or if you've got someone that believes in you. But I can tell you now, mm. that's very difficult to do, particularly in South Africa. You must understand that, um, you know, in South Africa, we might live in the same country, but we don't all share the same circumstances. And exactly. talent doesn't choose. Talent doesn't choose whether you come from a matchbox, a lokshini, or you come from, you know, like the farmlands in the Eastern Cape or the Cape Flats or Soweto or the suburbs. You know what I mean? Like when you've got, when you've got that itching, that inkling inside of you, it doesn't choose which circumstance you come out of. So you'll find that perhaps 
You know, there's a lot of children that come from affluent areas or that just have support around them that will have parents or uncles or aunties or family members that will say, hey, let me actually get your vocal teacher. Let me get my lawyer friend to look into your contract. Let me actually build you a studio so that from day one, you actually learn independence. I'm very big on independence, you know, Um, and I'm so fortunate to play an instrument you know, so from the very beginning, I, I've been able to have at least an, a, a percentage of share in each and everything I do, whether it's mm. me performing the song or singing the song or writing the song. And now to a point where I own my own record label and I record and own the masters and I market the music, you know. But I think when you look at the South African landscape, it, there's really like people in different situations. So I think... It's very difficult to give advice. I would say that it's much better now because there's the internet and the internet is really a leveling playing field because you can go on YouTube and kind of get a sense of what's an artist deal, what's a joint venture, what's a license, and how much leverage do I have as an artist to be able to go into any of these partnerships. And what I would perhaps point you to is to say, if you really don't know what to do and you really need to sign the contract, perhaps look, perhaps look into a couple of pointers. So look at the term, you know, um, and try and limit the term to less than 24 months because the music industry moves so quickly. And that little, you know, piece of word, that little word that used to say perpetuity, mm-hmm. <laughs> that naughty word you know, cannot exist in contracts anymore. So I would say, you know, try and limit the term and also try and look into, you know, if there's a reversion of rights or what what really goes on with the rights during the term and after the term. That's a very, very excellent piece of advice. One of the things that I've also learned to trust over the years because I when I was starting out, you know, I didn't have the Mark Friedman. I, I didn't have a family member who was... Uh, Pretend, like clued up legally. I just learned how to trust my gut. Yeah. And sometimes shady people <laughs> don't hide their shadiness very well. So <laughs> no. I, and, and I, I learned to trust that over the years. And I think that that's also something that people can lean on, but yeah, your, your advice is excellent. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what I was looking for. And, you know, you mentioned womb being, a part of Sony Music Entertainment's uh, hub on a grander scale in terms of the initiatives that they're investing in globally. Yeah. Um, and I know that their, their MD, Sean Watson, is also quite actively involved in yeah. Womb. Yeah, shout and, out to him. He's awesome. <laughs> oh, he's so great. And, and I know that you have some big goals and plans in the pipeline for what you want to do. But in general, how has Womb been received by the industry and and people since you launched it in April this year? Because it hasn't been long and I feel like you guys have already got such a great reach and such <laughs> awesome initiatives that you're involved in. No, it hasn't been long. Actually, um, just to give you a bit of context, we actually ran our first program to test the idea last year, November. Oh, wow. So um, initially I partnered with the Vets Business School um, shout out to CAPSI, the Center of Philanthropy at the Vets Business School. 
as well as the Southern Africa Trust. So initially, I, you know, initially wanted to put together perhaps a music conference for women. And I tried speaking to a couple of people. You know, I tried speaking to the arts and culture department. You know, I spoke to government, didn't really get any interest from them. I spoke to corporates, didn't really get, you know, any interest from them. When I spoke to an NGO, they immediately understood what the womb is about. They were like, this is a socioeconomic solution. And, you know, in fact, the same way that women across Africa, particularly in marginalized societies, the -hmm. way that they form cooperatives and, and build, you know, their businesses together. This is how we see the womb. We see the womb as bigger than just South Africa. We see it as bigger than just the Berita initiative. We see this as an NGO. And in fact, if you structure it as an NGO, then you're able to have multiple partners and you're able to work with people in different you know, through different programs and different projects. And hence, we're able to work with, you know, like a record label like Sony and not in in any form or shape in the way of like what a record label is supposed to do. We're able to work with them through their NGO department. So um, to ask, to answer your question. So in the last year, we have been able to put out two programs and those two programs involved a two-day masterclass um, teaching women about how to infuse social entrepreneurship into the way they deal with their arts businesses. So most of them were musicians, but there were also arts organizations, um, creators, music managers, music entrepreneurs. And we have been able to impact at least 60 women across the African continent with this program. That's absolutely phenomenal. You know, because it's, uh, this is the second time I'm going to mention this now, but because it's (laughs) August and because it's Women's Month, we're having these conversations a lot about how to even the scale when it comes to opportunities for women in the music business. Um, And I know that this is a, major focus for womb because you're looking to equip women with education, which when it boils down to it is the most important thing. But do you think that there needs to be some sort of written mandate enforced to even the scale of sorts? Or do you think we can begin to change only organically from a grassroots level? Yeah, so that's a very good question. We are currently, you know, putting together our strategy at the Womb and we've been battling in terms of what, you know, what's the right mechanism. Because for some people, they don't get it. For some people, it's like, ah, this is business, you know, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> the shining stars will always rise to the top. Um, but for us, you know, it's again, it's a socioeconomic um, challenge. And, you know, there are many women that I know that are mothers that have to feed their families that are breadwinners, that are musicians, you know, um, that are music managers, music entrepreneurs, music executives. So we at The Womb, we, I know one of our key uh, strategies is to actually do the research. We want to partner with the research institution to actually understand uh, how much of every rand 
ends up in a woman's pocket in terms of like whether it's be song it be songwriting or music composition or the music master rights or needle time or actual live performances and mm-hmm. venues etc so that's really one thing that we want to do because we believe once we do that then we can come back with the facts. You know, I've had meetings with CMOs such as Samro, and they will say there is significantly less women that earn from their songwriting. Sometimes it's because there's only, there's perhaps fewer women that are songwriters, but at times, you know, women are not registering their music. And men are just saying, hey, particularly those DJs, <laughs> they're just saying, hey, I'm taking all of it. I'm taking 100%, you know. So we want to start there. We want to engage the industry at a research level because, um, I mean, we have pretty big plans. We want, you know, we want CMOs to distribute just about 50% of the income to men as they do to women as they do to men. We want, I remember the last time I had a conversation with Sean Watson at Sony, he was, you know, complaining about how, you know, he feels like the music industry makes music for women, but he's struggling to get a, a, a female NR to join the Sony music team. He's like, it doesn't make sense. Why? So interesting. (laughs) Why are all decisions made by men for women? Women Mm. are the ones that actually purchase more music and music products. So I think we want to tackle it from a a research perspective and then get into the mechanics. You know, I think we've established over the course of this conversation that you have many feathers to your cap. But I was pleasantly surprised to also find out that you (laughs) sit on the board of RISA, uh, the recording industry of South Africa. And, you know, we touched on Samro a little bit. And I was wondering, with Sampro being in the news lately for their take on of the SAPC, what are your views on musicians and rights organizations not being paid the money that is rightfully owed to them? Sure. That's <laughs> that's a touchy subject there. I was actually listening to before we spoke, I was listening to a podcast that intrigued me. I was listening to Imogen Hip and she was talking about how you know, not all the money is con- is collected from where it's supposed to be collected. And mm-hmm. even of that you know, money that ends up, say, in the right places, the money that ends up at Samro or Sampra, only 50% of that ends up, you know, with the creators and and artists and writers. And of that, half of that ends up in the right hands, in the people that actually are the actual creators of the music. Mm -hmm. And she spoke about how, you know, we need to think broader than that. We need to think about technology. We need to think about ways of collecting information that perhaps it's a time for us to get our house in order because Mm -hmm. within the next five to 10 years, technology is really going to advance. I mean, you know, the blockchain technologies and the AI technologies, they're really going to get us to a point where we can collect every cent we make. And by that time, you know, we need to make sure we have our house in order as artists, you know, as CMOs, as, you know, I think music publishers and record labels have it together. But I think it's really about, I think 
the only way to solve this problem is really with technology. Because for me, when I look at um, a national broadcaster like the SABC, they are a dying format. You know, yes, they perhaps owe billions of rands to CMOs, but the reality is within the next five to 10 years, if they don't change the way they are creating uh, content and broadcasting, creators are not really going to be making much money from them. So I think technology is, is the answer. Obviously, it's not something that, you know, can be done by one organization or one person. But I think we have to be thinking long term if we really want to solve this issue. And perhaps Samro and Sampra and Capasso and all these organizations must really invest in their technologies to make sure that they can really fight the fight for the creators. Exactly. We all need to be working together other than working separately or against each other. Because like you said, we really do have a monumental challenge ahead of us that's not going anywhere anytime soon. And the rest of the world is advancing technologically and we're sort of just, you know, stuck where we are. So I, I hear what you're saying and I like that. I like that. You've given me a lot of different perspectives and a lot of things to think about today. Um, But I also just wanted to know if there was anything else that you wanted to add about any projects that you're currently working on, anything that you're maybe releasing just so that we've got it all in for the podcast. Yes. Um, (laughs) Actually can't think of anything right now. Um, Anything extra about Moom maybe? Let me, let me think. About them, I'm actually on a personal note. I'm I'm on a bit of a break, you know. So um, you deserve it, girl. (laughs) You know, I've got an EP that's ready to go, but I just kind of decide I'm cleaning house. You know, the thing that I'm talking about on the podcast, I'm actually doing in real life. I'm reorganizing my my business structure. When you say that you're taking a break, are you one of those people that actually do unplug and take a break? Or are you like me and you half take a break (laughs) and half keep an eye on your laptop just in case anything comes in that you have to manage? (laughs) I think it depends. I have two types of breaks. I have breaks where I'm completely on a break, um, which is not now. Now I'm on a, it's more like reevaluating. Um, and also just like growing my worth as an artist and as a creator and, and realizing that I no longer need to be everywhere all at once, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I'm, I'm on a break, but I'm still, I'm still grinding (laughs) in the, you know, I'm still, I'm grinding, but I'm just keeping it low. (laughs) Fantastic, Barita. I just want to say thank you for joining me today um, for the special edition of Text Talks. I'm really, really looking forward to getting this out and also to seeing what you do next and to keeping an eye on on Womb. Um, I can't wait to see the opportunities that you create and the things that you do. I think it's very exciting. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me for this special episode of Text Talks, the Red Edition. Be sure to check out Radisson Red Rose Bank Johannesburg at radissonhotels.com and across all social platforms at Radisson Red Rose Bank. Or if you're in the Rosebank area, why not take a stroll past Radisson Red and snap your own selfie in front of their statement red angel wings. Everyone's welcome.